Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. All right, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, don't forget all the usual stuff. Check out my son's uh, uh, sort of uh, podcast music. It's uh, drdrew.com slash podcast music. He's a great composer, and he's creating music for podcasts, of all things. Uh, he's a law student, so he's, uh, this is how he's getting through law school. It's awesome. Uh, also, check out uh, Click Through on the Banner Support to be able to support us so we can keep keeping the wins and the sales of the Corolla, the Corolla Pirate Ship and uh, do support the people that support us. We appreciate it. My privilege to welcome Lori Kilmartin to the show today. Lori, welcome. Wow, my privilege. I'm so excited. So this is going to be fun. The book uh, I want to I want to get in deep on. It's called Dead People Suck: A Guide for Survivors of the Newly Departed. Uh, Lori can be seen uh, Laugh Boston May 31st to June 2nd. Comedy Addict in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Mm-hmm. There's a Bloomington, Illinois too, right? Yeah, it's not it's, that one. It's Indiana. Okay, yeah. 29th and 30th, and then your website, which is Kilmartin.com. K I L M A R T I N. Twitter, you can follow her there at, at any Laurie, L-A-U-R-E-I-E-16, L-A-U-R-I-E-16. You write on Conan now. That's got to be – that's a great group. Oh, yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean I, I used to do it back when they were in New York. I, I've sort of been through many incarnations of that organization <laughs> over the years. And it was the same group that did The Tonight Show for a short period of time sure, too. Yeah. Same guys. Yeah. Same folks. And just the most warmest, nicest – you know, funnest group I've, I've ever been around. Yeah, and nobody you know, ever leaves the show. <laughs> There's hardly any well, job. That may be why I, that may be why I followed <laughs> them around. But I remember when it used to be in Thirty Rock. You know, yeah, uh, it both when it was the original show. Uh huh. And then the Tonight Show. No, Tonight Show was Tonight out Show here. came here. Tonight I think, Show was yeah. out here. That's how you, they got out here. I think. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 And uh, I'm just thinking of my experiences in the original show. I feel like I had some. Intense experiences in those little t- – they have these tiny little dressing rooms. They oh, put yeah? you in along the hallway there. Yeah. You must have seen that. No, I haven't. I didn't come up come aboard till uh, the TBS show. So oh, I it was the very Rock. New York. Very, yeah. Very New York experience. Uh, I think I was even there. I had some sort of – oh, I know what it was. This was my experience. Was when um, – it must have been – he must have been five years into his late, late night show. Yeah. Right? And we were – the show – we were like the last guests and I think it was uh, – God, the guy that plays uh, Harry Potter, I think, was actually the guest. Oh, <laughs> Daniel. Was Daniel, whatever Radcliffe. his name is. Yes, Radcliffe. Radcliffe. Yeah. Radcliffe. You might be able to find a clip or something of this. Me and Adam on Conan, long time ago, ni- mid-90s, mid to late 90s. And uh, and at the end of the show, you know, they're you know, they're they we're sort of chatting up there. And I think we sort of stood up and, and walked forward. And, and Conan goes, can you believe this? He goes, I, w- I would come here and watch uh, – we watched uh, David Letterman. I'd watch David Letterman in this studio. And this is my studio. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He was still sort <laughs> he of – He was still dumps. giddy. Yeah, That's he, was, cool. he was gobsmacked. He, <laughs> this is a year's in that every night he got to do something in this studio that he used to come as a college kid and watch uh, David Letterman. <laughs> survival guide oh, there oh it is. And oh, my God. That's our Dr. book. Dr. Drew Pinsky and Adam Carolla. How crazy Oh, is my that? God. Who's the who the other guys? Look at that. Oh, oh you're my God. Everywhere. Oh, Andy, too. You guys are oh, so Oh, Rob young. Schneider? That who it was? Oh, it was Jerry Stiller. Oh, I was going to say wow. it might be Jerry Stiller that was in there. Uh, and that's Rob Schneider in the middle? I think it was oh, Rob Schneider in the end, was it not? Is that right? Yeah. God. Rob, wow. I didn't, didn't remember that at all. Rob has become a, a good happened, friend. Andy? Where are you that's going? That's cool. happened. <laughs> Andy. I'm, there's no room on the couch. Well, sit on the edge there. of the couch or something. Well, oh, right? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, good. good man. 
Now, it's enough. You know, we can, we can find it on YouTube. I'm sure we're going to watch the whole episode. I want to, man. That's great. Yeah, and uh, what was even more weird, Gary, you'll appreciate this part, is uh, as, we, as after I've talked to Conan and the audience is getting up and, and, I, and I look out in the audience and standing up and moving towards us, I see a woman that looks like Adam's mother. Now, by the way, Adam had all, and I had already been in multiple colleges and been around the country and we'd been on the road for like 10 days or so. And and, and I go, geez, Adam, like a woman looks like your mother. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, they're here. <laughs> he, he didn't – We. We like we're all on the other side of the country at the same time in the same room, and he didn't bother to say, "Oh yeah, my my mom and my stepdad might might show up to watch this." And they and they had one of their classic interactions where what's his my Pat, what's her first name? I forget. Adam's mom. Oh, uh, Lauren's his sister. Yeah. his mother Pat, is uh... not Pat. Anyway, she she kind of came up and went, "Hey, good 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 job," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Yeah, and they just sort of parted. And that was that, it. We, did, that, we didn't agree to it. we didn't agree to do anything with them or anything. Chris, Chris, oh that's God. right. We didn't agree to do anything with them or say anything. We, that was the end of it. That was the end of the contact <laughs> we had uh, three thousand miles away from here. But anyway, I wow. found that that was before I got to really know Adam. And I, now it would make perfect sense. <laughs> so, so you're writing on Conan. That's got to be fun. Yeah, it's mm, very fun. That's good. Yeah, but let's get into yet another book called uh, Shitty Mom. Yeah. How, tell me about that one. Oh, before that's that. a parenting book that's full of bad but funny advice. <laughs> Give me an example. Um, I guess the one that is actually kind of useful in my in my opinion is when you have a newborn and you're trying to sleep through the night, yeah. uh, get a box fan and put it in your room and turn it on high so you don't hear the baby. So just over that's not that's not terrible. Advice. I, I I agree. People run to the baby all the time. Just don't. Yeah, just yeah. get your eight hours. We have triplets, and so oh, oh yeah, yes, oh yeah, that's that, right. Oh my yeah, god, that, the pain. The, the, the literally the squeeze I saw in your chest was <laughs> yeah, was, was a very apt oh, sort of response. And yes, true. And appropriate, <laughs> very appropriate. And yeah, we had to get used to screaming and yelling by the kids, and just uh, just keep going. God. And uh, babies use something called projective identification, which is that feeling you get when you walk in the room, you're like, <laughs> like yeah. you get your guts go inside your chest. And that's babies sort of are able to inject their feelings into you to get action out of you. Oh, that's, really? Unfortunately, when babies aren't given adequate sort of interpersonal nourishment from the parents yeah. and they become young adults and adults, they continue to use that same strategy. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And there's a lot of that going on these days. Oh, if my you kid's ever, 11, I think. But I not may. your kid. I'm just saying if you're ever in a room <laughs> around somebody and you get that feeling like I need to get out of here or, I'm oh, having, right, or right. some feeling I'm having that doesn't belong to me, Yes. that's projective identification. Interesting. And, and they will inject their stuff into you and then manipulate it. As a way of regulating their own emotions. Oh, God. I feel crazy? like I've dated a lot of guys like that. <laughs> the way you just described it, I'm like, that that feels like a date to they, me. They can do that. <laughs> we do. It's still a lot of that going on. All right. So let's go Let's go into the current book, which okay. is Dead People Suck. What, what is it about? It's available on Amazon. Why would you write this? What are we going to get from it? Uh, it's a, a book about um, – my dad died from lung cancer and he was in hospice at my house How or was a, at the – Pardon me? How old was he? He was 83. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of about um, the shock of losing a parent and the shock of being depressed about it. It's Because I was 48 when he died, and I, I guess I, th- I should have seen it coming. <laughs> and, and even when he was in a hospice, I was like, no, there's no way. I know oh. he's going to turn this around. Oh, no. And it's so- Didn't the hospice people help you? No, they didn't say anything. No one ever actually says anything. You know, the doctors say it's, it's not looking good, and we're going to bring him home to hospice. And 
And, you know, you don't want to ask, is he going to die? Because you kind of don't want to hear the truth. So you just sort of, or at least I just sort of read the best possible interpretation of everything they said. What's your recommendation to us as caretakers? Don't Do you rather we were more explicit? Or would you rather we sugarcoat it or sort of I would rather be it? more explicit. Yeah. Yeah. You could, if you were my patient, I would be explicit. Right. I, it drives me insane when they are not. It, dri- it drives me absolutely categorically. When surgeons say things like, we got it all, I want to punch them in the face. <laughs> because yeah. there's no such thing as we got it all when it comes to cancer. They didn't explain it well to my dad. And my dad may have had like chemo brain or something and he couldn't understand it. But he thought that they had got it all. And I just was looking at the letter I'm that sure they, they sent. I'm sure they told him that. They tell them they, that. They they might have said we got this one tumor, but they, then there they, were these four pretend, other ones they didn't tell them they, about. They, t- they talk to you as though, we got it all, got every bit of it, no yeah. margins on that, and that's all they talk about. And right. I really think there should be like there should be like a category of malpractice for that because it is unethical. Yeah, they should, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to deconstruct things that were told by surgeons. We have to go, no, no, I have to go, I'm sorry. I know they told you they got it all. Yeah. No, there's no such thing. Yeah. It does, that does not exist. We'll do the best we can and maybe, and I'll give realistic time frames and hopefully we'll exceed that. That's well, all. yeah, I didn't like the fact that I was the one explaining to my dad, I think you have something uh, on your uh, liver. That's geez. what this says. Uh. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Now, what would you, what would you recommend if, if uh, a patient says, I don't want to know anything? Um, Just do the best you can. The patient, I, I guess, I I would talk to the. It's more the family members, right? Well, not necessarily because it's somebody. It's about the individual who's dying, right? Not our, it's not just our. It's not our need so much. It really needs. It should the priority should be the individual, who's right? The patient. I it, the, patient, would, the family should be considered for sure, but well, I would say, what dreams do you still have? What things do you still want to do? And they would say, I want to. In my dad's case, I want to go to Bryce Canyon, visit mm. Bryce Canyon in Utah, and I would say, you won't be able to do that. Is there something like that? And then we would just keep – I guess I would just keep downgrading until we found something like you can go to the store well, that's <laughs> one more nice, time. <laughs> that's a nice actually zone for the family to stay in. Yeah, I guess so. No, yeah. You didn't feel good though, huh? Uh, well, I mean, death never feels good, but, uh, it it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful experience in a way, you know, he had come home. So he's surrounded by, you know, everything he knew. And, uh, we just sort of escorted him to death, my sister and I, and was there your mom? Was she around? My mom was there as well. She was, um, frantically cleaning the house and had a very difficult time not doing laundry. Um, uh, and uh, my sister and I, the night before my dad died, this oxygen, I think it was an oxygen machine, but it was some sort of machine he was using to get stuff out of his throat. He had oh, a suction. lot of fluid. Yes. Suction. And it broke. Hmm. And um, we called the hospice people and they, they said, we'll be around soon. And they just didn't show up. And oh, so boy. my sister and I sort of did this thing where I sat behind my dad and she was in front of him and she scooped stuff out of his mouth and I patted his back, you know, gently and to kind of loosen it up. And then we told him just all the stuff he had done for us when he was a kid and how great it was and just like oh memories all going back to you know taking us that sounds wonderful it was wonderful in a way i mean you know he it was his last night so his everything was falling apart yeah. and uh uh he he was facing my mom and my sister and he told them both you know i love you and then i was behind him and i said i want and i love you to my face so so <laughs> i want one and so when we laid him back down and we he was sort of rolled over on his side a little bit and, and then his jaw was locking and mm-hmm. he he kind of said oh, i love you you know like it was really difficult for him to say but he said it and that was the last thing he said to me 
Then he went to sleep and I was like, phew, so I, he can rest now. I really didn't think that was his last night. I thought he just had a tough night. And then the I'm next sure morning that, he died. I'm not sure that was sleep he was doing. Who, I, I know. In, in <laughs> retrospect, it was like, oh, that was a death rattle. And yeah. the, the breaths were like, you know, 15 seconds apart. Yeah, that's coma. That's coma. Is that's it really? Coma. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I had no idea that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wasn't good hospice care. <laughs> so, by the <laughs> no, way, that it was wasn't. Suboptimal. Was that out here? Uh, it was in Northern California, uh, in Pleasant Hill, California. Do not recommend that hospice group. No. <laughs> so, but what, tell me about the the dead people suck. The guy. Well, it's just you know I'm a comedian, and I just started writing a bunch of jokes about cancer and hospice, and you were uh, tweeting them too. I was right? tweeting them because I, I that's the thing you don't want to leave the house when someone's dying because you don't want to miss it. Yeah. So um, I just hung out with my dad and started tweeting jokes I probably would have tried that night on stage, and so people started getting interested in what was happening because of were that. Were they appropriate at any point? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, all of them were. <laughs> they were pretty. Yeah, I, I shoot. I should have. Mem- I can't remember all of them right now. But it was. <laughs> I was sneaking off to have sex with a boyfriend at the time, and my boyfriend was African American. And at one point, I, I told my dad after they met for the first time, I said, "You can't die today, or people will think that you're racist." <laughs> so, so just stuff like that, and just it's it, hospice is so. It's searing and boring, yeah. you know, and it's a million different things. And it, and when I just wasn't, you know, just I kind of dealt with every emotion by trying to write a joke about it and getting it out and moving on to the next one quickly. And is the survivor's guide a, a sort of structured around the yes, jokes? Yes, it's yeah, it's it's a ton of just uh, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's jokes. It's basically jokes about the entire situation, but it's also you know there's some real stories there too. So it's not just you know, stand up. So it's a little mix of both. So tell, tell me about the, your family of origin. So it's the, the same two parents? That- two parents, uh, married for 55 years. Oh and dad was an engineer. He, um, he worked overseas a lot when I was a kid uh, because he had a hard time getting work here. It was like the 70s. And mm. I think Bechtel laid him off or laid off a Did bunch of people. Like, a lot of people were going to Saudi Arabia back then. Is he went to went? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. He went to the Philippines. He went to yeah. Nicaragua during oh. the Sandinista Revolution. Oh he everywhere. He's like his his resume reads like a secret CIA spy <laughs> or overthrower. Maybe he was or working for the CIA. He just didn't know it. <laughs> I haven't found anything yet. I have all of his papers and I'm slowly going through them. Yeah. But Is that weird um it's comforting he, he used to write a lot of letters to um companies uh like he i have course like he would keep their correspondence and there was one from westinghouse that said dear mr kilmart and thank you for your continuing correspondence so i guess he was going back and forth about a washing machine but it was just like oh that's so dad <laughs> so I, I like having that kind of dumb stuff and you know letters from senators and it, they all sound like they're tired of hearing from him because he just he wrote to everybody all the time was he a mechanical engineer uh, he was a civil engineer. He civil. built dams. Dam- okay. Was he sort of, was he an Aspergersy engineer kind of guy? Like I don't know that he was Aspergy, but he he was he had a he had how he would anytime something interested him, he would buy two or three how to books on it and then never finish them. Huh. So he had thousands of books on on so many different subjects, and I think he got through half of one of each one of them. So he kind of knew a little bit about everything, but in, besides engineering, but not, it wasn't too deep on anything after. But, but how to sounds very like building oriented. Yes, yeah. So he, that was what he was knew a lot about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a lot of language books, and he knew a little bit of a lot of languages. Did they travel? 
Um, they lived in Iran for a little while before I was born. He had he had a job. He's working on the Karaj Dam in Tehran. And, and did you guys travel with them ever? Um, no, we were going to go to Nicaragua, and then the the civil war broke out. <laughs> was and all of a sudden, my dad was being shot out a in Managua. Dust up. I, uh, <laughs> bring my daughters down. We're like we're gonna have to leave you there. And, and and did you guys go to high school and college and stuff up north? Yes. So, yeah. Where did you yeah. go to college? Uh, I went to UCLA for a year. Mm-hmm. I dropped out. Um, I was I went to Cronulla High School in Northern California. It's a Catholic girls school. And then that guarantees a career in comedy. How, how did that happen? <laughs> I, uh, I was I I was pretty depressed. I had a. Um, I was a competitive swimmer, and I was um, in a. I had a coach who was a little handsy. Oh my god! And, so slow down. Okay. So usually the competitive swimming is with mom at five in the morning. Was it different back then? It was with my dad. My dad would do it when he was home between gigs, and then uh, but the early morning stuff. It was not my it. mom. It was uh, a friend, a friend who was a little bit older who had a car and was like sixteen and could drive. And this was a high school team. It was an AAU team, so we swam in San Ramon, which is about fifteen minutes from. Where but what we I'm lived. getting at usually it's a lot of parental involvement to get the kids up at four in the morning and get them in no. there and all that kind of stuff. No, not okay. not a lot at all. In fact, um, this was all you. Yeah, it's AAU is a little different. I mean, you're swimming four hours a day, so you have two workouts. Yeah. I mean, uh, once we, I had since there was an older girl who would, who could take us to swim practice, myself and a couple other younger swimmers, we all just carpooled together, or she drove and we paid her gas, or my parents. How'd paid you get her interested gas. in that? Um, I, I don't know. I guess when I was a kid, I joined a like a little uh, rec swim team near our house, and I was decent at it, and so I got it's into usually that's it. Parents directing kids that way. No, it didn't. No, actually, I kind of. You understand I, that's unusual to be after, all motivated by the kid. After I, um, after my dad, my dad was gone. That's that was a problem. Uh, <laughs> he, he kind of he. I mean, he had those were the only jobs he could get. Yeah. So he started working overseas when I was twelve, and yeah. I was. I'm now I'm like, oh, that's the worst age to leave yeah. a girl. Yeah, yeah. And so I sort of gravitated to this coach of the swim team who uh, he, he's now in prison. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was one that. of their first cases of um, swim swim coaches that were, uh, oh my you know, prosecuted. God. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about this. Oh, he was sentenced to 40 years for child molestation. One of and your he, peers or anything or anybody you knew? Oh, a lot of people I knew. In fact, I was one – I wasn't the I wasn't molested although when I was 18 he tried to do something to me um what do you and do? he just kind of tr- tried to have sex with me and even though I was 18 I was a very young 18 and How like this, the swim coach kissed, pull that off he what did they well do? he didn't do it he didn't but pull I mean, it off it's all so the time, weird but. to me I don't understand what even their Procedure. They, these are kids that have been trusting them for a long time. Oh yeah, have a relationship the p- kids with, you've known since they were twelve, says, Let's 11. Have sex, yeah, yeah, it's like a Woody Allen kind of thing where you just see somebody grow up, and then in my case, it was like, oh, she's old enough. But the ones he was prosecuted for were like a fourteen-year-old who ended up having an abortion. That was. She's a friend of mine. This is all happening. Like our team was so dysfunctional. There's so much happening, and no one talked about it. And we only found out later as adults. Like, oh, he did that to you too. Oh my god. Like we. No one ever mentioned it. We just all sort of suffered silently from very similar traumas. It was horrible. Weird. Yeah. And, and well, I'm, again, you're. If you don't want to tell me, that's fine. Oh, that's, but no, you're, no, you're, it's fine. You're being a bit evasive about what he did. No, he he called. Okay, he called me over. Um, I I I was home for Christmas. I had my freshman year, year at UCLA, and I was bulimic. 
I was a mess. I had a lot going on. Well, your dad was gone. Yes. And so he called me over and said, I want to talk to you about um, the 84 Olympics, which is all I wanted to talk about. <laughs> That's all I wanted. And, and, and it's weird. I mean, I, 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 I wasn't that good, but I, w- I kept hoping for a miracle. Mm. I kept hoping for one of those miracle swims that sometimes people would have where they drop a ton of time and it's like, oh my God. I was like, maybe that'll happen to me. Um, because I was putting in the same work as Olympians were yeah. and I was swimming with them. It just wasn't me yet. Yeah. Um, and so, so he called me over to talk and, uh, then he sort of just, sat me down on the couch and then he just sort of lunged on me and I was shocked. I was so shocked because I didn't, I never thought of him that way. And he was definitely like, like a total he, like, jumped and tried to kiss you. Yes. Or yes. Tried... Yes. And I worshiped him. Uh-oh. Luckily his wife got fired that day and she came home Ugh. and he jumped off me and I was just sort of stunned. And, and she was upset about being fired. And from what, what was she fired from? Whatever I forget what job she I mean, had. Just these two sound like quite a pair. She was a swimmer he groomed and married, Ugh. so he knew her when she was very young and my married God. her when she was like eighteen. Oh my it's God. tons of dysfunction, and 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 parents back in those days. That's what I mean. Like my parents, they weren't participating. No one. It was not a flag to anybody. And now you'd be like, what? <laughs> it's so strange how educated we are now about that kind of stuff. But you know, just um, in the eighties, nobody was at all. Was anybody anybody having persistent problems from what that guy did? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. me. And it wasn't even for me. And I wasn't even that it wasn't even that bad, you know, but um, a couple of my friends, very, very horrible, horrible uh, reactions to trauma, I of guess, course. you know, that really mm-hmm. changed the course of their lives in oh, a I'm negative sorry. way. Oh, bad relationships, emotional yeah. dysfunction, drug use, that all goes yes. in there. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And for you, what happened? Um, Comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I dropped out of UCLA and I didn't tie it to that. Yeah. I was like, I'm not into this anymore. And I and I started reading these books by Janine Roth. She writes these books on compulsive eating. And one of them was just like, you know what? Eat whatever you want and see what happens. And I was so tired of the the dance and, and the constant ca- counting of calories and the getting rid of food. I was like, I don't care anymore. And I ended up just eating and eating until I gained like 60 pounds. And then I kind of topped off <laughs> and I was done. And I, I don't think I've had like, like binges like that ever since I, I, I binged the way I always was afraid I would. And yeah. then I survived it. I think that's kind of common in bulimia. They, they, yeah. they often get big and yeah. then they kind of slow down into normal eating. Yeah. Once once you get, sort of well, if they lose- get well lose the obsession with the food then it's you know well but some of that usually needs to be filled by some sort of interpersonal health yeah so were their relationships going well then or something uh, or? Uh, i don't know i'm never i'm not that great on relationships uh. <laughs> you, you know maybe one day but um no i, I kind of threw myself in a comedy at some point um i was floundering for a little bit doing like telemarketing jobs and stuff like that and just i felt like such a loser because i was like three years ago i was tr- you know hoping to be an olympian you know again against you know any, any common sense but still i was still doing the work and now i'm like 210 pounds and i'm you know doing sales calls for the oakland tribune and <laughs> i was like what happened to me did you get depressed yeah and that's when you again comedy was the solution it wasn't i didn't look at it as a solution right there but when i started going to see stand up in san francisco in downtown san francisco by myself i just when go, was that uh 84 Four eighty five. So there was a big comedy scene in San Francisco in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, right? the yeah. other cafe and the Holy City Zoo. And yeah, and that, that it sort of was one of the hubs. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember just seeing some stand up and just being like, oh my God, I don't know how anyone does that. And then I saw somebody who wasn't very good and I'm like, wait a minute, I could do that. If she can do it, I can do it. So I'm, I'm like the kind of person that needs to, I get motivated when someone isn't as good as me or isn't as good as I think I am. I'm never motivated by the greats. I'm always motivated by the averages. And so, <laughs> and so what, how do you characterize your comedy? Um, now I guess I, 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 I talk about my kid and being a single mom, but I, I guess my, I feel like my persona is I'm a person that's trapped in a box I can't get out of. So I'm just trying to do the best. My mother lives with me. I'm taking care of her. I have an 11 year old son. I have a, a day job that's pretty hours heavy. What's that? Uh, Conan. Conan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I do stand up at night and I, and it's, I was thinking about that in a weird way. It's, it's sort of, I'm being driven so insane that it, that to have an outlet is making me bet- a better comic sure, sure. than before when I was just like a road feature and all I had to do was do you know a half hour set a night and then I could do whatever I wanted on the road that day. It was a different – I had a different attitude towards life. Now I'm like frantic and, and, and fevered. <laughs> Workaholic. Yeah. And you – did you just do something with Colin Quinn? Oh, uh, no. I wrote on his show for a long time oh, okay. um, on Tough Crowd. I wrote on Adam's show, too, the one he had on Comedy Central. Not that you write for Adam Carolla, but I was listed as a writer. <laughs> I, I did that show a couple times. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I was there when Steve-O broke the table. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was nuts. Yeah. I remember he was backstage wasted. And I'm like, Steve, dude, you're going to have to do something someday. And he goes, when I do it, I'm going to go all the way. So <laughs> don't even – don't screw with me. I'll tell you when I'm ready. And he was as good as a word. When it came wow. time, he, boom, he went all the way to the mat. Wow. That's so great. That, that, Steve. Yeah. Um, but Colin's a great guy, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. He's so P- funny. People don't know. But funny, but great guy. Oh, yes. People don't yes. know. And the giving you know, helps lots of people. Definitely. And people. Yeah. He gave me my first writing job. I wouldn't be a writer if it wasn't for Colin. Yeah. I don't think people know how good a guy Colin Quinn is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 whenever I see him, I just, I'll support anything he does. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about 310 Nutrition for a few weeks. They are shakes that are taking the weight loss world by storm. You see it everywhere for a reason because it apparently works, and they've been a great help to hundreds of thousands across the world. And they've got a special deal for our listeners. Go to 310nutrition.com, use Drew, D-R-E-W, at checkout, and you'll get free shipping. 310 Nutrition shakes are plant-based, loaded with protein, fiber, and natural flavors. The shakes have no sugar, no artificial sweeteners, no artificial flavors, None of the fillers and chemicals you see in most diet shakes. 310 Nutrition is so much more than just the weight loss, though. It's actually nutrition, it's protein, and it's a junk food replacement. Go to 310nutrition.com, check out their blog and their recipe pages. You'll learn more about the company there. It's crazy how something that tastes so good will actually help you lose weight. If you want to lose weight, this may be the company for you. Go to 310nutrition.com. Once again, it is 310nutrition.com, 310nutrition. It's 310nutrition.com. Again, 310-310nutrition.com. Use Drew at checkout, and you'll get free shipping and some great extras as well. All right, if you're looking for a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP, and you don't even know what that stands for, though, right? I, I don't. Invoice price, list price, dealer price is just confusing, and it's meant to confuse. All you're really looking for is the price. The price actually means something. It cruise. Now, here's something from TrueCar, which, of course, is true price. You know exactly what you pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, so you'll get it exactly before you even get to the dealership. And, of course, you'll have locked in a price for a piece of for actual inventory on a TrueCar certified dealer's lot. And TrueCar dealers want you to sh- – TrueCar dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home or wherever you are. 
And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want. And True Car certified dealers know this, so they set that true price competitively because they want your business. Again, it's actual inventory when you arrive at the dealer. So when you're ready to buy new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Uh, you have a CISO special? You had one? I did. There's no CISO anymore. Right. It, the CISO special was about my dad. It's called 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. And uh, so it was just when I – after he died, I had a bunch of jokes that I, w- I would try to do during a regular set. And, you know, uh, people I think basically come to comedy clubs for dick jokes or some <laughs> variation of it. And then I'd be like, so my dad died. What? <laughs> it was just – it was a tough shift. So I thought, what if I just did a special and I titled it what it is so everyone knows going in, this is what you're going to hear. Yeah, and so that was the premise of it, and it, the the whole thing was just jokes and jokes and jokes about the hosp- the whole the whole situation. And, and share some of that. Can you share some of that with us? I, um, I'm so curious what that would look like. Well, like I, there's, you know, I, I I would talk about. It's weird to just jump into jokes, but I'll try to do yeah, it without saying yeah. I, I do a joke like this. Yeah. Um, my dad died, and it's um, it's tough to lose a parent. It's even tougher if you were hoping to lose the other parent first. <laughs> now, I'm not the only one who feels that way. My dad's last words to me were, ha, ha, she's your problem now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what a prophet, because she really is. Has she been? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not easy to live with an 81-year-old Female. lady. Yes. Lady. Mother, you know, mother-daughters. I mean, you do everything you can to get away from the, your mother. How, how and then, is it your, your sister doesn't get her? Uh, she bought a house with stairs in it. She was very canny. <laughs> so my mom can't navigate her stair her stair filled house. Maybe you could purchase one of those elevating seats that go up along the stair <laughs> for her. My, she has like some kind of weird bile of a house in Oregon. So there's like a little flight of stairs and then another little flight of stairs. Uh, so yeah. already now we're talking two chairs. Uh, too expensive. Uh, too, Plus my mom does babysit my kid a lot. Oh, you that's know, good. Like right now. Yeah, that's you know. I'll tell you what: being a good grandparent can overcome a ton of parental ills. Yes, yes. Don't you I, agree with me? Yes, and just being present, also. Just being a good grandparent. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, my dad was a great grandfather. Yeah, not so great at all. But <laughs> and so like I was like, fine, fine. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. done. It's all behind us. You just keep doing what you're doing here with these guys. Oh, that's great. And we are great. <laughs> and I really felt that way. And and uh, and my kids. Or dividends from that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, there is, I think it's a a mistake to overlook some of the humor around death, though, because it can help you. Oh, yeah, of course. And and people get weird and offended. We're offended about everything these days, especially anything comedic. Yeah. And so I I wonder if you got any pushback. Uh, A little bit. I got when I was tweeting, the only pushback I got was this is really strange to me. We're two reporters from Al Jazeera. dot com we're complaining about my tweets but that was about it i mean i tried to keep it not too crass you know but just crass enough um yet so that's always my goal on stage to be know? crass to be dark and crass but not so much where people are disgusted <laughs> it's a it's a fine line i try to write every night and are you writing specifically but in terms of writing not just the stand-up but do you write for conan yeah per se? yeah the yeah. monologues and stuff? No, just the monologue, yeah. Is it you by yourself? Or no, something? there's two other writers. Still, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of night. news stories. But So it's a relief to be able to go up on stage and complain about my mom or my son or something like that. Yeah. 
You'll miss your mom when she's gone. No. You will. You <laughs> I, will. I might. Just from the standpoint of caretaking of your son. Do you know what would be nice if someone could be dead for a year so that you could appreciate just get your them, space? Appreciate yes. them when they come back. And then they, yes. You, you inevitably have that feeling like if I could just have one more conversation, there's a couple of things I need to talk to I you know, about. I That's know. It's the weirdest feeling of all. Yeah. Because when it happens, you're like, okay, I'm fine. Everything's good. And then six months later, you're like, fuck. I know. It was this weird thing. When my dad was dying, we were we realized we had a ton of stuff that I'd seen forever every day in my house, little artifacts. And I didn't know what they were, what they were from. So I'm like, what's this? And that's that's the long knife. That's from the Philippines. And that's from Nicaragua. And he, so he's quickly giving me backstory. And I'm just frantically bringing him and, and objects. he didn't know that he was dying at the time. He didn't. I think he kind of knew. Like, he, I don't, you know, he was also not prepared for it. He also thought he was going to live forever because he That's was. That's that age group, that generation. They all are that way. Yeah. He was a Korean War vet. It was and, so weird. There was such a bizarre attitude they had. Yeah. It, 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 I can't tell you how many times I've been taking care of someone your dad's age. Yeah. And they would get a medical illness yeah. in their 80s. And go, I've never had anything before. It's like, yeah, yes. yeah, I know you've never had anything before. Now, now you do. Yes. Yeah, of course you had nothing before because oh here you are 81. Yes. And yes, and now you have this. Yeah. And, I, and it literally, I, that, that was a daily thing I would hear from that particular generation. Oh, my God. That has died out a little bit. The, the upcoming generation sort of has had exposure to aging parents and understands. Yeah. But they still aren't preparing. Yeah. But, and they're still not realistic about it. But they're at least not so shocked. So shocked that uh, – well, because you got to think about it. Before probably your dad's generation, people didn't routinely live to their 80s and 90s. Oh, my God. Right. And then all yeah. of a sudden everybody does. Yeah. And that's – you know, it's a – that's – aging is a disease process at a certain point, which I'm sure you, sure you saw some of it in addition to the cancer. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean be, even before he got cancer, he was be sounding elderly on the phone. I was like, oh, God, no, not yet. Know, but isn't it something where if you live past like maybe 70, then you could easily live to be 90? But like yeah, the, the 60s you, are the most dangerous Well, the age longer or? you live, the longer you're going to – the higher the probability you're going to live longer. Wow. Yeah. In other words, if you make it to 75, then you have a higher probability of going to 90. Wow. But I will tell you that for men, the wheels start to come off the wagon in the mid-70s typically. Oh. Men, men just go – just just, poof, just starts happening in their mid-70s. Interesting. And, and they either make it through or they don't. And if they make it through, the 80s are still old yeah. but, but a little less unstable. Yeah. Like, like whatever they've – been contending with through their 70s, now they're contending with in their 80s. There, there are no new surprises yeah. until some sort of terminal event, until yeah. something really happens. And men in their 90s are – although these days it's a little different because people are aging better. But men in their 90s, not a happy group to be around. <laughs> I, 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 know, oh, I, know, I know I know, no more unhappy group oh, than men that can't walk or in constant oh. pain, can't pee, can't fuck, right. can't do anything, yeah. can't, you know, can't think, can't remember. Uh, they are just – and they'll let you know it. <laughs> <laughs> can't see, can't taste, can't swallow. Maybe I, I mean, lost my dad at the right time. Who knows? It, I mean, it, it, it felt it, a little young still. You know, he's walking a dog two hours a day. Yeah, you would hope late eighties. You'd hope. For yes, it. but still, that's not that big a difference. I know. I, mean, really I do get angry when I read of like Nazis that are still alive. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Know, There's like a 90 year old Nazi when it comes that's to still alive. Fair and not fair. No, it's awful. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's not. Have you yourself had any medical problems? Have you felt that not fair feeling? Um, no, I've been pretty lucky so far. Um, just all mine are mental. <laughs> I mean, well, not not mental illness, but just you know, well, believe me, it's a mental illness, but it's but it's yeah. mental illness light. It, it, <laughs> it, it is something a, that it's I, a cute mental illness. <laughs> it can um, dissipate a bit, you know. What's that? 
that obsession with food, I think. Mm. Like I, I still, you know, I'm still trying to work on it enjoying a meal mm. i still don't like to be viewed when i'm eating i still have a, still like little cat little games i play in my head mm. that i have to catch myself and go this isn't this isn't how i want to die like i want to be able to you know have a satisfying meal and have a satisfying maybe you should have the treatment have what it's there's a treatment there's a treatment out there for that kind of thing really oh absolutely it's, but i don't know that i it's it's enough or i need treatment you know well it doesn't get better by itself <laughs> <laughs> it sort of sort of changes and morphs and things, but yeah. it's kind of a fixed thing that has a, is a very effective treatment. Really? What I is it? I have family members with it. It takes time. It's, yeah. it, there's interpersonal ways of doing it, group ways of doing it. And, yeah. And uh, whatever stuff there is has to get kind of reworked, oh, rewired. I'm so tired of reworking things. Yeah. That was the thing about writing a book about it is I did have to go back and read all these notes I wrote about my dad when he was dying and just remember all that. And, you know, I mean, flip it into jokes is just fine, but – just like, oh, I'm so tired of dipping into this pond. And after I was done writing it and the, the, I, there, I had a deadline, I turned it in. I was like, ah, I'm just going to – now my dad's memory is mine again. You know, it's That's not good because I'm going to make you dip I... back into it again here. So <laughs> I'm glad you're relieved. Here we go. Let's get back into it. <laughs> so if you thought it was just going to be fun having a chat here today, I'm sorry. Um, but, but, but seriously, what, what is in the book that, that like is difficult? What was the most difficult part? Mm. Um, that night was difficult. Um, that last night. Yeah. We and yet all, it, that sounds kind of beautiful. It was in a way. It was painful to yeah, sure. go through all that stuff. Bittersweet? No? But yes, bittersweet's yeah. good. Um, this one really difficult. We we did keep his body for a whole day. Like we um, – uh, when he died on Sunday morning, it, the Oscars were that night. And so we decided to watch the Oscars with his body. And so we – we just sort of, you know, we had a hospital bed. We propped it up and the three of us sat on the bed with him and we watched the Oscars. The thing is, is I didn't want to – we didn't want to give him to the mortuary yet because he was still pink and alive looking. And so we just – and we called the hospice people and they said, you could keep him, but you have to keep the house cold. And, <laughs> you know, because you don't want him decomposing. And, um, and these, so, these, You understand these are some of the most stunning details. Really? Oh, they're fantastic. So, yeah. We is kept, it in the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We kept him overnight, and um, and then the next morning, um, Monday morning, he looked very dead. You know, he looked gray, and I was like, "Yeah, he's gone. He, there's no blood anymore." It looked like. So you were doubting that he was actually dead all through that first day. <laughs> I, I kept hoping he would pop back up because he he did a couple times look like he was gone earlier in hospice, and then popped back up with some sort of detail. Um, and then, so nobody pronounced him dead. Uh, my sister is a psychiatrist, so she pronounced him dead. Yeah. That even makes it more bizarre that she, that she <laughs> is there sitting with her dead dad. And- yeah, we. It was kind of weird, and then then Bet, the the Bet Midler during the in memoriam sang "The Wind Beneath My Wings," and we were all like dead. <laughs> we're all just. We were literally sitting in the sobbing. same room with him. Yeah, sitting on the hospital bed because he was. You know, when they have cancer, they die skinny, so he was very tiny, and the three of us were able to sit on his single hospital bed and just kind of curl up around him and watch the Oscars with them. Wow. Yeah. And then his funeral was supposed to be on the following Sunday. And so we made plans for that. And then we got bumped to Monday because somebody else died. And they said, the church said, well, this, this person's going to have a lot more mourners than your dad. And we can't do two of them in the same day. So we're going to move your dad to Monday. 
which That's weird too. That is very weird. I was yeah. outraged because my dad was like the last good Catholic. You know, he's the, he's the guy that wouldn't believe, in, you know, the sexual abuse. Ah, come on, that's just one bad person. He he didn't believe anything bad about the Catholic Church, and he oh. gave five dollars a week every, even during the recession in the seventies when he's broke, he gave five dollars a week. He wrote a check every week. That's that's like the one guy the Catholic Church really should have gone out all out for, and they didn't. <laughs> should have taken him to Rome. Yeah. And then they spelled, they misspelled the Philippians on the program wrong. They spelled it uh, a letter from Paul to the Philippines. I was like, <laughs> what is wrong with oh you guys? My God. Yeah, it was a strange time. It, that's that famous letter, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. The, I read it because my dad, he, oh, this is like he, he couldn't articulate what he wanted at the funeral. Again, he hadn't made any plans. So yeah. He kept saying 21. So uh, we just found all, a bunch of, um, you know, passages in the Bible that were like, you know, you know, six twenty-one, whatever, and any 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 psalm or whatever that twenty-one in it. We, Eileen yeah. and my sister and I were like, we'll read it, and then we realized afterwards he's probably referencing a twenty-one gun salute, which is what he wanted, which we also did, but I, I didn't put it together until later. Was he in the military? Yeah, he was a he's he's in the army. He was in oh Korea. Gosh. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and, and so I'm I'm still so fascinated by watching the Oscars with Bernie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. this is dinner with Bernie. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and. and, and what did you guys do when the Oscars ended um, that night? Gosh, what's that? Like maybe 11 o'clock or something? I mm. don't know. I don't remember. We all – I think we just went to sleep, you know, in our, you, upstairs in different rooms. So you just said goodnight to your dad? Yeah. Yeah. And then you came came down the next morning and, you know, again, he looked very – he looked like a corpse. And before when we left, he had looked like our dad. It happened pretty quickly. But it was, it was easier to – to give him to get rid of it. Yeah. yeah they're going to put him in a bag and yeah. roll him out of the house. And it was easier to do when he didn't. Look. So do you feel like hanging out like that? Cause I, I've certainly been in hospital situations where people go, I'm having trouble leaving. I didn't want to leave the, the body. Yeah. I've, I've seen that's a common human yeah. feeling. Do you feel like you guys indulge that properly? Oh, I or loved too it. Much I, no, I thought that was perfect yeah. because and, again, when we let him go, it didn't, it, didn't it didn't feel like he was still alive in there. You know, um, it, you know, they, you know, people that have had near death experiences yeah. say they float above or they're yeah. still there. And so when he looked alive, it felt like he might still be hanging out with us, oh, you know, actually watching the Oscars with us. And then the next morning again, he just, you know, you couldn't deny it any longer. Yeah, he's gone. He yeah. left. He's with his brother now. <laughs> and, and did you have any was the morning difficult for you? The actual morning itself? Not M-O-U-R? M-O-U-R, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it was, he was my first death, my first big death. You know, I, I guess a few friends have committed, well, they have committed suicide, but it, um, this is what, the family altering death. That yeah. was, my dad's was the first yeah, one. Sure. And that was, I guess, really hard to get used to. It's like, it's just my mom, me and my sister now, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not fun anymore. You yeah. know, my dad was a fun one. And it's so, it, it that that is hard getting used to how you're, family changes a little bit. And we, you know, I joke about it, but my sister and I both hoped my dad would be (laughs) free from my mom for a couple of years. We're like, oh, I know because she's, she's been in terrible health for 50 years. How she's still alive, I don't know. And the fact that my dad went before her is shocking. And, um, and, you know, she's very naggy and stuff. And 
we always were like, man, when he'll have a couple years without mom and he'll just be able to walk the dog without getting yelled at. It'll be awesome. Oh. I'm like, he didn't. Dang. Oh, well, he did yeah. what he wanted to do it, though, right? I, mean, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, what, it's what, his marriage. What do I yeah, know? Exactly. We, we just look at him and we're probably extra hard on our, our mom because we're daughters. Probably. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking about your sister, the psychiatrist. Does she know you, I believe me, or had it? Yeah, I think she did she too. Suggest, she did. She, did oh, she too. also, yeah, had. yeah. And she didn't suggest maybe treatment. Did no, she treatment? no. She mm. she's very. She went the opposite. Where, where I just like have cereal and toast at the house. I just don't want to deal with food. And she she's like a, a practically a gourmet cook. She's oh, a wow. great cook. She mm. and she puts it all together. She cooks. She loves cookbooks. And so we kind of have different ways of. Was dealing she in the swim food. team too? Yeah, but not like me. She, Did she get touched by the dude? No, no, she didn't know him. No, in, 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 oh, she didn't even know him. No, not. I mean, she knew him, but yeah. she wasn't a swimmer. If and so the eating disorder. I wonder if more about mom than the swimming. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I mean, she used to she used to count calories for me. <laughs> That's helpful, right? Um, I do remember being. I had a terrible seventh grade gym teacher who weighed all the students and then put the put our weights on the chalkboard and I was really tall and for in seventh grade, especially, and I was kind of muscular from swimming. So I weighed almost more than all the boys Mm -hmm. except Fritz, who was like this really big kid. And I remember going, Oh, I was like five, nine and 150. And I was like, Oh my God, what's, this is awful. All I could see was 150. What age were you? Like I think seventh grade. Yeah. Again, my, and my dad was, was he gone? Yeah, no, he, no, he wasn't gone yet. He was leaving that. Well, summer. he had to have been gone a lot. Just yeah. to, just the number of places you said he ended up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Just just counting the number of places up, let alone the time spent. Yeah, it's a lot of lot of way. A lot of a lot of places. Yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> so it's sort of emotional, all this stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 okay. I I I. I appreciated the chance to work through it. You know, it's weird. I I was just working in Lake Tahoe last week at the Improv and I was driving from Sacramento or driving towards Sacramento because I was flying out of Sacramento. And I just was like, can I just keep driving down 80 and go into my parents' house in 1993 and say hi to my dad? Uh, You know, especially when you're driving, you feel like you could just take a different exit and go right back to a special year where everyone was alive. (laughs) But obviously couldn't do that. Does it, is there a physical feeling associated with what you're experiencing with your dad? Um, I guess so. It's chest area. Yeah. Yeah. I was just feeling it. I was feeling like somebody's sitting on my chest a little bit. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, that's not how I normally feel. I oh, just wow. That's the feeling that you get. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially on my left side, strangely. I don't know if that's, that's you or. I yeah, mean, not like I guess, cardiac, but I guess just it's a there, bit. but it's, it's just more maybe of a. Maybe was that what he was experiencing? Maybe we all saw that. No. I don't know. It was, it was, it's in, and my dad had been one of those guys that was always worried about money and, you know, he worked every day until he was diagnosed with cancer and stuff. And um, then my, I, he was on a speakerphone call with my cousin who said, who said, you know what, it kind of, Ron, everything worked out okay. You know, and. and In life. Yeah. Like I'm, his daughters are alive. He has grandchildren. His wife's alive. They still have a house. And he, he kind of was like, Yeah. And it, it's it, and it felt like for the like he could be done worrying about us and, yeah. and maybe he'd never had that experience or that lift. Where he, where'd he that grow lifted. up? Pardon? Where did he grow up? Topeka, Kansas. Is he, what's his ethnicity? Uh, Irish Catholic. He's one hundred percent Irish. Where did he get descent. all that? I get, was it like recent Irish 
No, I'm totally into ancestry, by the way. That's a way to figure out my dad, I feel like. But he's descended on all sides from famine uh famine irish well, that's what i was gonna say it sounds like trauma stuff yeah, so, yeah. does it last it yeah. lasts a couple generations oh, right it lasts 150 years easy easy wow. easy easy that's crazy easy. yeah 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 but it but certainly three generations for sure wow heavily heavily, heavily. wow yeah yeah it, and so he was the famine was 1890 Eight, no no 1840s 1840s yeah so 150 years there you go yeah yeah so um yeah, it was. It, and so the, we, we think about humans is we create, recreate the traumas. Yeah. We either revivify them by rituals or we actually subconsciously recreate them. So it just gets transmitted down to the kids constantly, oh constantly, constantly. And then they recreate it. And so. When, so when's the famine going to leave our family? I think it's. I, I, I might be the last one. Well, you got, you could argue that the bulimia is sort of some weird reenactment of – Maybe. Yeah. Of yeah. If, if, um, I just would love it if my son were free. I, I suspect <laughs> – well, I suspect it is I mean, because you're yeah. sort of addressing it and looking at it and bringing it out in the open and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. And it, it does lose its power over generations for sure. Yeah. For sure. But the, the it sounds, sounds like the money thing had a bigger deal for him than the food thing. Definitely. But that he married somebody – to bring the food thing in, <laughs> she was the food. She was the food. What am I missing? She oh yeah, food, food obsession. Yeah. She was the. We we are not complete without money and food anxieties. Oh, you know what's weird is my dad. We I found a micro cassette recorder mm-hmm. and a tape of my dad's after, and it, just like the two or day, two days after he died, and because he used to con, you know read into it, you know uh, make notes in his micro cassette recorder. So I, I played this, and it was my dad's voice from like. 83 mm. and it was uh, somehow it was a note to his brother his brother had given him $40,000 and I, get, I didn't realize my parents were like destitute at that oh, time yeah. and they and he, my uncle Jack basically saved our family and it was my dad thanking my uncle Jack and and, and the way he the way he sounded, it sounded like his other option was suicide. <laughs> it, he sounded very – he's like, I, I don't know what was going to happen. I don't – you know, and, and I'd never actually heard him sound like that in life. So it was really shocking to listen to. It was, it's weird. Like you worry, am I going to find porn? You know, and instead I found this, this you know, very um, sad, mournful like, written – spoken letter to wow. his brother who I don't know if, if he ever heard it. And that's why I thought, why did he – why did he leave that? Did yeah, he, why isn't did, the brother have it? Is, yeah, is Jack why still didn't around? he write it? No, no, Jack died yeah. too. But, um, but like, why would, is that something you'd write with a note here? Give this to or maybe my he, brother? Maybe or? he dictated it to himself. Maybe later he wrote it down. Oh, maybe. Mm. Oh, that's right. Of course, that's what he did because he wrote letters all the time. Mm. Wow. You, what's interesting is you, you, some of these really intense things you say. And by the way, I'm a big believer in humor as a yeah as a panacea. But uh, you laugh at stuff that's pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> stuff, you go right to laughter. It's like, woo. But th- thus the career. Sure, yeah. yeah why not? Yeah. I mean, that, what do they say? Comedy comes from pain. Yeah, sure, or sure. Antisocial and pain, right? Isn't that the two main I think so. wells That's, of comedy? All the comics I know are antisocial and their pain's in the ass, yes. No, in pain. In <laughs> oh, pain. and they're also.
social Antisocial is the pain in the ass. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate spending a little time with me. What, anything else you wanted people to know as we wrap this thing up? Or? Uh, oh, man. Jeez. Um, or where they should go or what stuff you want them to see or know about you? Or? Uh, oh, God. I, I don't know. Do you have I'm a podcast on... coming? Or do I, hear I do have a podcast yeah, with a, another female comic named uh, Jackie Cation. And we have no guests. And we just meet every week and complain <laughs> about comedy and talk about comedy. And for some reason, uh, people... Uh, that aren't comics listen to it. <laughs> I, I don't know. What's it's it strange. Called? It's called the Jackie and Lori show. Oh, I think I've come across it. I think no, I've been really? listening to it. Yeah, oh yeah. my God. Yeah, wow. yeah. Good yeah. for you guys. Thanks. All right. We'll look for that and then look for Laugh Boston, May 31st to June 2nd. Comedy Attic, Bloomington, Indiana, 29th to 30th oh, of for June. for the plugs. Yeah, and, and at any Lori 16 and kelpmartin.com. I'm sure it's all there. So. Yeah, and Dead People Suck is the name of the book. Go get it. It's obviously <laughs> going to be entertaining, and f- I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated. It's going to be fascinating. <laughs> so get, go get it. So, And thanks for spending time with us. Thank you. It. All right, we'll see you all next time. For Colin Times and Topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.